Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. Uh, this is the last chapter in a section that we started uh, back in January. Romans uh, chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8 comprise a, a section. Paul kind of divides that letter up into multiple sections, if you will. And so this is the, uh, the last chapter, and we're going to kind of slow down a little bit. We're going to spend a few weeks in Romans 8, uh, starting here today. And what Paul's trying to answer throughout this section, chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8, he's trying to answer this question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And what, what does it mean to be a follower of Christ. And so if you were here for the very first time, uh, maybe it's been a while since you joined us, let me just kind of recap real quick to keep us all on the same page. We started with Romans 5, and some of the big takeaways from 5 are this. We learned um, that God is at work in our lives. God's always at work. He never stops working. Before you say yes to Christ, God is at work within you, getting you ready, preparing your heart, drawing you uh, towards Him. And we learned that we all start from the same spiritual uh, start line, if you will. Our spiritual default condition is not that we are inherently good people. Mankind is not. It's that we have sin that has infected us. You go all the way back to the story of Adam and Eve and Genesis and the garden, uh, which I don't have time to get into today, but sin is our default spiritual condition. Then we got the Romans 6. In Romans 6, Paul challenges us to see ourselves as God sees us. How does God see us, right? He sees us as being forgiven. He sees us as being free. He doesn't see us as being dirty, no good, or rotten, terrible, horrible sinners any longer once you say yes to Christ because he's done a work within you. Now, just, just kind of think about it like this. I was thinking this week, you know, um, none of us here have, have really seen our own faces, right? Like, we haven't seen our faces. He's a with it, Pastor. I, I know what I look like every morning. I look in the mirror. Yeah, you, you see a mirror or a video, or, but no one takes their eyeballs out and turns around and is like, hey, I look like this. Like, no one does that because you can't. The only way you see your face is if you have a reflection, say, right? And here's the thing. Reflections can be distorted, can't they? Remember the old school like carnivals and stuff that had the, the fun houses and you walked in and you had like one mirror made you like super tall like Yao Ming and one mirror made you kind of big and fat. One was kind of wavy or whatever. But it, it was all dependent on what you're looking at. That reflection was distorted. If you're looking at yourself through a mirror that's dirty, it's got some cracks in it, you know, you're, you're looking at somebody who, who looks like they're dirty and they don't shower and they don't do, have good hygiene or whatever. And none of that may be true. It's just the mirror you're using has got a problem with it. That's, that tends to be how we see ourselves. And so I think oftentimes we have an inaccurate depiction of who we truly are because we're seeing ourselves through a reflection the world throws our way, not as, as God does. God sees you as righteous and holy. He sees you as one of his own. All when you say yes to him, okay? You're forgiven. You're healed. You're set free. Uh, Romans 7, a lot of this begins to play out. Paul gets personal with his struggle. We were there the last couple of weeks. He's very personal with the tensions that he deals with in Romans 7. He calls himself a wretched man. Uh, he sees himself as somebody steeped into sin because he's viewing himself through a, an inaccurate reflection of who he is now in Christ. And he's willing to, to do the right thing. He talks a lot about this. He's willing to do the right thing. Um, he knows he should do the right thing, um, but he has a hard time with that. 
there's a gap, if you will, between doing the right thing and being willing to do the right thing. And we see this play out all the time. I said, where, where do I see this? We, I'll just give a couple examples. You go to a restaurant. And you know, because you're getting older, right? This may or may not be a true story. But you know, because you're getting older, you're like, I, sh I should eat better. I should eat healthy. You know what? Grilled chicken, no salt, no flavor. I want it flavorless. It's healthier that way. So grilled chicken for me, kale, chickpeas, I'll have that. I'm good to go. And before you can say the order to the, that's what you've said in your head, right? And before you can say it to the waiter, you see this guy. And it's not like you're intentionally looking at him. It's almost like God is sending you a message because he's placed right in your view. And you're looking at what he has. And he has a double pattied burger with pepper jack cheese, not two, four slices of the smoked bacon on top and onion strings. And there may or may not be a fried egg. And your first thought is, that is a heart attack on a plate. But your next thought is, but it's so good. And so you're kind of like, I should order the flavorless grilled chicken with kale and seat but I kind of want that. that. That's the gap, right? That's the gap. Or it's when you're talking with your spouse for you guys who are married and you're going, going back and forth and you know you shouldn't say something in particular. And so the Holy Spirit's like, don't say it, 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 don't say it. And you just like, and another thing. And it comes out, oh my gosh. That's like what God's doing. You shouldn't have said it. And again, it may or may not be a true story that happened on Valentine's Day in my house. If you need, if you need marriage counseling, line up. I'll help you out. We'll be in the doghouse together, brother. Okay, we can do it. It's the gap. My wife loves me. It's okay. It's the gap between doing the right thing and... And you know you should do the right thing, right? There's, 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 a, there's a gap, right? So how do, how do you close it? How do you close the gap, right? And you actually do what you should do. We're going to talk about some of that here this morning in Romans chapter 8. Uh, you need to know that if you want to close this gap between I know I should do it, but I need, I'm actually going to do this. If you want to close that gap to where you carry it out. Um, let's get out of the way right now. Very first thing you should do, easy peasy, the Holy Spirit. Understand it's the Holy Spirit who brings freedom. He brings freedom. You can't close this gap without the Spirit of God in your life working with you to close it. Okay, he, that has to happen. So it's the Holy Spirit who brings freedom to your life. Now, nowhere else in Scripture is the Holy Spirit talked about more than right here in Romans 8. Now, you, you, I know you want to disagree. If you're from a charismatic Pentecostal background, you want to go right away to the book of Acts because we've always been trained. Acts is the. But actually, this chapter right here, Romans 8, if you're going to create a foundation, a theology of the Holy Spirit, which is called pneumatology for you, you guys who are interested in that, uh, you start here, Romans 8. And you're going to see why. At the end of these three weeks, you'll, you'll see why this is the chapter for that. But it, it is a very important chapter talking about the Spirit of God. So Romans 8, Paul starts off like this. He goes, so now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. 
What's Paul doing here? What Paul's doing is he's taking us back to Romans chapter 5. Specifically, Paul's going to take us back to Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. So if you want to like, just make a reference to that, that's where he's going to take you back to just from this single verse right here. He has that chunk of scripture in mind here. All right, And that's where he talks about how those who belong to Christ escape condemnation. Condemnation comes to all humanity. Why? Because Adam and Eve messed it up for us all. They sinned. They deliberately sinned. It wasn't an accident. They sinned on purpose, intentionally. They went against God. God said, don't eat from the, from the tree. And they ate. And so the, what's the penalty for that? Well, the penalty is sin. It, re, it requires death. Not just physical death, but a spiritual separation from God. Okay, so there's death that comes as a result of that. But then Jesus comes along, and he pays the price that sin demands by dying and rising again. And so whenever we accept this offer of salvation, we are now free from this spiritual separation from God. Now, we're not free from death. We're going to experience that. Uh, a great takeaway, someone asked one time, well, how come we, we still die? Just because you're forgiven of sin, just because God takes care of that, doesn't mean you're free of consequences for sin, right? So you still have to deal with some things. And so we, we have physical death in this world. But because we've placed our faith in Christ and he paid that penalty for our sin, we're no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer you know, fearing condemnation that God's going to lord every single thing over us. We're free. And it didn't cost us anything. Now, it sounds almost gimmicky. Every week, you know, every week in, in Radiant Church, we have people who, who yeah, they're, they're followers of Christ. I mean, a lot of you here are. But we got a lot of folks who... They're, they're not followers right now, but they're here. God's, God's brought them here. Or they have questions about God and, and faith, and they have some doubts. You know, so I, I throw that out there because I want you to understand, for you guys who've been believers for a long time, I want you to understand when we talk of things about how church is not just for us, it's not. And so if you're here this morning and you're like, man, I've, I got some questions because you're right, Pastor. It does seem kind of gimmicky. I mean, I'll be honest. Like, you're... You, <laughs> You say a prayer, and then poof, like magic, God takes everything away, and your, your life starts over again. I mean, in a way, it, does seem, it doesn't cost you anything. Like, we learn that if it doesn't cost you something, it's called a scam. Like, so, it has to be, something's weird with that. It does seem kind of gimmicky. And, and, I, and I'll be honest, it, sometimes I think we sell it that way in church, and, and I'm not hitting, I mean, I'll throw myself under the bus. There are times where I'll do the same thing, and how I present maybe salvation, it feels that way. Say this prayer with me right now. It's almost like an infomercial, you know? Salvation is yours for three payments of $19.99 plus shipping and handling. I, gotta put, I guess it's there. And, 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 and I get it because it can feel gimmicky. Where we make the mistake is we say, if you say the prayer, all your troubles go away and your life is good. And we forget. Salvation starts with a prayer to say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need you to save me in my life. I'm going to do everything I can to follow you from this day forward. It doesn't end there, though. And so we've been talking about this for the last few weeks. Salvation is a journey. And it's a journey you're on your whole life. Because what God does is he changes you. And he shapes you. And he kind of gets this old junk out. You know, we have, we have those four spiritual steps. Know God. Find freedom. That's what find freedom is. Where God 
God gets the Egypt out of you. Like he's getting stuff out of you and he's putting more of his spirit in. He's changing you. That is a lifelong journey that you're on. And it's true that it doesn't cost you anything because it costs Jesus everything. However, I should say this because I think we're dishonest when we say it doesn't cost you anything. It will cost you something. It didn't cost anything to receive it on your part, but to follow Jesus will cost you something. There's a reason why when he's talking to his disciples, he says, you know, hey, before you come follow me, you should count the cost. It's going to cost you opportunities. It'll cost you relationships. It, it might cost you career trajectories. You know, I, I stand before you as part of my part of my story. I was going to be an attorney, and I know you're like not another one, but I wanted that's what I wanted to do. And I was going to be an attorney, and I had the LSAT done, and I had the scores, I had applications. I was ready to rock and roll, but I could not escape the call of God in my life to do this. It cost me. My family moved from Charleston here to plant Radiant Church. It cost us. Trust me. I could give you all the details. It cost us to do that. I'm traveling right now uh, around the state. Last week and then this week in the network we're a part of. I'm traveling around the different pastors and, and parts of the state just to encourage them and, and just kind of see how they're doing. And with me are missionaries. And I'm telling you right now, every missionary, it costs them something. Not, you know, we're not talking about financial. I mean, although that's true, but it costs them their way of life and comfort and things that you and I would not want to give up. There's always a cost involved as I follow Jesus because inevitably at some point in your life God will call you to do something you would not ordinarily do apart on your own but it's part of his plan for your life and for the lives of the people you will impact and reach and so you follow through with that plan there's a cost but what do a lot of us do you know salvation itself is free because Christ died for us. Now, here's what I've noticed as a pastor over the years. What a lot of people do is this. It's like Jesus paid your bill. He paid it for you. It's like going through the line at Chick-fil-A. And I'm in Chick-fil-A, and I got the guy in front of me, and I pull up, and he paid for my, he paid for my, my whole meal, which is great, you know, fantastic. And what do we do? At the kindness, wonderful. Give me my chicken. I am gone. Thank you, Jesus. Like, I, that's fantastic. No, spiritually, though, spiritually, what I see a lot of folks do is, Christ paid your bill. You know what you do? There are folks who are like, you know, I'm going to pay it. Take my card. Take it. Take my cash. Like, I'm paying this bill. And what people do is that Christ sets you free. You're saved by God's grace. And yet, you spend your whole life working to maintain your salvation. That's not how it works. That's not freedom. That's slavery. Paul talked about that in the last couple of chapters. That's slavery. You can't work your way to God. You can't do enough good things for God. If salvation depends on you, Jesus would have said, you follow me and then do all these other things right here and you'll be okay. Some of you this morning, the one thing you need to hear before you leave today is you should stop paying your own bill. Christ already paid it for you. He paid it for you. It's not up to you to finish it. So Paul says, quit, because there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. There's none anymore for you. Verse 3. The law of Moses was unable to save us. Here it is, right? Because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Verse number three is a very good, concise summary of all of chapter seven. 
Yeah, we could have just skipped seven and gone to three, but we didn't. But yeah, it's a great summary of the entire chapter. The law cannot save you because your sinful condition makes you too spiritually weak to fulfill it on your own terms. You just can't, you can't do that. That's why you need Christ. That, that, that's why he brings us what we naturally desire, and that natural desire that we have is, is, is freedom. We desire freedom. The drive to be free is natural. As a kid, you want to begin to make your own independent decisions. You, terrible twos and threes. Just pick one. It's, all, it's always one of those. I'm going through it right now because my little girl, Dad, Arya, do it. That's what I'm hearing nonstop in my house. Arya, do it. Arya, do it. You can't. You, she, she's like halfway dressed coming out the door. Hey, Arya, do it. She's holding her diaper in her hand. Arya, no, you didn't do it, baby. Let's, let's help you with that. Like that, That's what you go through at that stage. Then as, as a teenager. What, what is it? I, I want to make my own choice. I live my own life. And so you got that friction of mom and dad. And if mom and dad are too strict, what happens when they get out? Dude, they have untold amounts of freedom. So they kind of go crazy for a little while. Which, by the way, in the next section of Romans, Paul's going to talk about freedom. There is a right and wrong way to handle freedom. Yes, you're free in Christ. And Paul's going to teach you how you handle that freedom. Because there's, there's, there's certain ways you should handle it. So you don't go crazy he has parameters. Well, the same thing as a teenager. You know, you, there's parameters you're supposed to operate in. Some of you guys, your you know, freedom for you is you, you have a desk job right now, and you would rather die a death of a thousand paper cuts than sit behind a desk. But you're in a desk job, and freedom for you is just getting free, getting out of that thing, and have, having some some room to walk around. I don't know. It's desk jobs are tough. But my, my point is this: we all have a natural desire to be free. That's that's what we desire. Every human being on planet earth has an innate desire to be free on different levels. The mistake we often make, and I, just hear me on this, the mistake we often make in our pursuit of freedom is we opt for rebellion instead. Now what is rebellion? It is, it is, it, rebellion is not real freedom, it's fake freedom. It's a counterfeit freedom. That's what rebellion is. You're not actually free. That's why I'm not so sure about that. Go and list, just go read original sources from some of the biggest revolutions we've seen in history. Uh, we, we, can, we can go to Mao. We can go to Cuba. I, I, I can take you to Franco Spain. Let, let, let's go to some places. The French Revolution. You'll find that people were rebelling, thinking they were getting freedom, but the end result was more slavery. The end result was more bondage and darkness. It was a fake freedom, see? Fake freedom, if you're not careful, if you go in it long enough, that counterfeit freedom, it'll make you lost. Romans chapter 6, let's go back there for a second. Paul has a lot to say about living in this kind of counterfeit freedom. 6 verse 20, he says, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do what was right. What was the result? So in other words, you know, hey, were, were you more free? No. In fact, he says that you were ashamed of the things you used to do. The things that ended in eternal doom. Why? Because it was a counterfeit form of freedom. You were never free to begin with. You were always a slave to sin. Never actually free. But now you're free from the power of sin and you become slaves to God. And so now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. As a kid, mom and dad, they, they worked hard. And as a kid, it was during the summer, my dad took all three boys to Lowe's. 
which is a great father-son trip. I mean, who could not? This is perfect, right? Mom's at work. So we go to Lowe's, and we're in there for a while, and you know, there's three boys. I'm the oldest. I forget how old I was, but you know, I'm the oldest. I got a middle brother, and I got a younger, youngest brother. And my youngest brother was in that kind of stage of newfound freedom, thinking he was free, but he really wasn't. But nobody told him that. So uh, after a while in Lowe's, my dad's got everything in the cart, and he's like, I got two. I'm supposed to have three. <laughs> Where's the third one at? Cannot find this third kid. So, you know, okay, go look for him. Now, <laughs> I'm the oldest. Should I have been looking out for Pro Probably. I mean, I got another brother who's supposed to, too. But that, that, that's not part of the story. So... He's missing, and we're looking around for him, trying to find him, and we're looking everywhere, and, and you know, after a while, panic sets in. If you're a parent who's kind of can't find your kid, you, that, you know what that's like, right? So panic starts to set in, and so we're like, okay, we should probably tell somebody. So he's telling the, the Lowe's workers, his, you know, what, what his, my brother looks like, and all that kind of stuff, and before I know it, man, if they're on the intercom, we're looking out for a, a young male, white male, you know, four feet tall. Like, you hear all that kind of stuff on the intercom, you know? And then, and then the rollaway, I didn't know they, it's like Lowe's had their own FBI. Like, the rollaway doors come flying down, and they're like, we're in lockdown mode, and all the workers are looking everywhere for this kid they can't find, and everyone's freaking out. And then, oh, would you not know it, at the height of this comes this laughter. And inside one of the vanities that was on display, Display, out comes this little rugrat, and he thinks he's playing a game of hide and seek. He thought he was free. He found out real quick that was not true. You know? He was lost, and he heard a little bit probably after that, too. Uh, it's funny to laugh at now, but I mean, it wasn't funny about then, though, buddy. It was crazy. He, we, we <laughs> There's a difference. Between being lost and being free. There's a difference between being lost and being free. We are completely lost without the freedom that Jesus brings. Paul, he knows this. He has most, if not all, the Old Testament committed to memory. He, he studied under the greatest rabbi of his, of his day. Paul understands all the rabbinical commentaries and the Midrash and everything that's there. And he's telling his readers, the law can't save you. It cannot save you. So God did what? He sent his son. And so verse 3 perfectly balances the humanity and the divinity of Jesus. So I don't know if you caught that or not. But it perfectly balances Christ's humanity and divinity. He is fully God and he is fully man. He's both. Fully God and fully man without sin. And I just can't underscore how important that is. It, it may not seem like a big deal for you, but in Paul's day, there was a movement, I don't got time to jump too far into this, but there was a movement called Gnosticism that began to kind of rise up. Not quite mainstream yet, because we're in the middle of the first century, but it started to kind of rise up. And the Gnostics believed that the material was evil. The physical was evil. It was all, you know, you, salvation was gained through the Spirit, through wisdom you know, and knowledge, which is what Gnosis in Greek means. It was wisdom and knowledge. And Paul, just to kind of put an end to that, he goes, look, Jesus was fully God and fully man, showing that, hey, 
The material, physical man is not evil at all. It's not sinful at all. Christ came and became one of us. And by the way, in doing so, what Paul did was he also elevated the importance of not wisdom and knowledge, but the Spirit. Because it's through Christ and the Holy Spirit, not through more knowledge we attain, that we are made right with God. That we find the salvation we need and the forgiveness that we need. And so it's a very, it's kind of a subtle thing he puts in there, but it's very important that he highlights who Christ is in that verse. Now, here's the thing. The Bible, you've got to be careful with this. There's a lot of knowledge you can gain as a Christian. I think you should gain knowledge, but don't rely on it to save you. Be careful not to treat the Bible as a manual for living. It's not an instruction book for you. Old Testament is not a there's a there, there's a lot of great stories and there's nothing really kind of hidden back. You get the good, the bad, and the ugly. Not as the example to follow in all the sin, but as a way for you to say, okay, these people were like me, and yet how they made it was they relied on God. I should do the same type kind of thing. It's not an instructional manual for you on how to have a successful life, not because it isn't true, but because the issue is with how you respond to the revelation it gives of Jesus. Everything in Scripture points to Christ, okay? Know the Bible 100%, but don't elevate the Bible to the status of, like, the divine or God. Jesus is who it's pointing to. Make sure you're chasing after Christ. Verse number four. He did this, meaning Jesus. So the just requirement of the law, which is the penalty for our sins, that's the requirement, would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow what? We follow the Holy Spirit. Here, Paul reminds us that Christ paid the price of sin demands um, by his death and resurrection. So we, we don't follow our sinful condition anymore. Instead, we follow the Holy Spirit. And in following the Holy Spirit, what we're doing is this. We are following Christ. Christ fulfilled the law and all its requirements. Therefore, in God's sight, we fulfilled it too. Not because of anything we've done, because of everything that Christ has done for us. That's why Paul doesn't say, oh, obey the law or do what the law says. Instead, he points his readers to live by the Spirit. Follow the Spirit. Follow Christ. That's why he says that, okay? We live according to the Spirit. Because Christ did what we could not do for ourselves. So we're no longer lost once we come to know Christ. We have real freedom. Not a counterfeit freedom. We have real freedom in Jesus. We're not rebels, okay? We're truly free. Two types of freedom. I'm going to get kind of a little heady here for you for a second. But for you guys who like notes, this will be good for you. Two types of freedoms that Paul will outline here in this passage. I'm going to move on. Uh, there's two types. The first one is, is, a, is a judicial type freedom, a legal freedom. You see it in verse number one. You see it again in verse number three. God declared us guilty of sin. But because of the work of Christ, you know, right, that sin is forgiven. Think about this. Think about this. It's like a pardon. When, I, when you get a pardon, it's not that we erase forever what you did. No, the, you were found guilty of the crime you committed. The pardon says you are guilty. You did commit the crime. However, your sentence is, is commuted or dismissed. You don't have to carry out the punishment for your wrong. That's what God did for us through Christ. We're still guilty because of our sin, but Christ died on the cross. What does God do? He pardons us. Hey, you don't have to have that spiritual eternal judgment that would come for that, that sin demands, because he paid the penalty for you. So that's the judicial kind of freedom. Here's the second one. The second one is this. It's, it's, experience, it's experiential freedom. Experiential freedom. That's verse number two and verse number four. 
our experience validates the fact that we were set free. It, it, it provides the evidence we need that we are free. I'm free in Christ, and the effects of that freedom should be able to be seen in how I live my life. We've talked about this before in this section. It's about fruit. Words and actions are fruit I produce. What I do, what I say, where I go, evidence that Christ has set me free. Experience is important, and you can't always quantify it. So sometimes, folks, and maybe you're here this morning and you kind of fit this bill, you're like, well, here's the thing. I, I struggle with people experiencing God. And part of that is because you're not, you're not there yet. Maybe you haven't accepted Christ yet. Maybe you have, and this is kind of new for you. But there are times in my life I will look back, and, and you'll get there too. But there are times in your life where you look back, you're like, you know, this person came in and said that to me. Uh, this experience happened over here. I can't chalk it up as coincidence, and I got a, I got this vibe that something, and like they're they're legit, and they knew things about me that I I don't know how they could have known that because I don't post that on social, right? Like how do they know that about me? Those are experiences of God in your life when you come in and worship like collectively as a body of Christ and. You got, you know, we're all worshiping together. Maybe we had a word of knowledge this morning that, that, that we heard. Or maybe it's just that feeling, that vibe you get as we're in a worship song. The Holy Spirit is just moving you. And you can't describe what you're feeling, but you feel overcome with emotion. Those are also experiences. So you can experience God, and that's very important. And it validates that first part, how he has pardoned you and set you free. He's declared you innocent in his sight, okay? All right. Let's move on. I got a little heady, but but one day before we got out of here. Verse number five, Paul says this. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, they th think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. So the Holy Spirit brings freedom. But you also see in the first few verses here, Holy Spirit brings life. He brings life. You, you, you live through the Spirit. He brings you freedom. He brings you life. Paul gives a series of contrasts between what sin brings and what the Spirit of God brings here. Verse number six is the centerpiece of this passage. Everything here is built around verse six. <clears throat> verse six talks about how our sinful condition brings death. But the spiritual condition we have through Christ brings life. It almost starts out too simple. Because verse number 5, Paul says, Well, you think about the right things instead of the wrong things. Which almost sounds too easy to do. But it's actually pretty tough. Like, you ever, you ever, you ever done that? You ever tried giving up something? You know, love or uh, th things you like, you know, like things you were almost borderline addicted to? You know, whether it be food or, or whatever it might be. It can be difficult to do that, right? It's harder than you thought uh, to give those things up, especially if you struggle with those things. I, I was thinking a little while ago, I, I got the idea one year uh, to, to, to fast coffee. I can't, med medically, I can't fast like food for meals at a time, that kind of thing. I, that just, I can't do that. So I have to find different things to fast. So I thought one year, I'll do coffee. Why? Because I love coffee. Like, if you know me, to know me is to know coffee. Like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a coffee fanatic. I don't, I don't get, like, kind of, I only take my coffee from this kind of roast. I don't care about that. Like, I like trucker coffee, too, with grounds in the cup. Like, I'll take that. Like, I, I just want coffee. I might have an addiction problem. I don't know. But it's, it's there. So I said, I'm going to give it up. 
And I did. And it was the hardest thing I've ever done in a fast. I kid you not. I was, I mean, only one day. And I'm like shaking. And I'm sweating a little bit. And I'm like, ah, I, don't, I don't know. I'm looking around. I'm talking to my friends who used to be addicts and were set free. I'm like, here's what I'm going through. Did you go through? Oh, yeah, we went through that. But they went through it with like alcohol and drugs. I'm going it over coffee, man. Like, this is, this is terrible. It worked for a week. And then I said, I'll never do it again. I'll find something else to do, God. I said, I, I got to give something else up. It's tough. It's tough to give things up. But Paul wants you to know the issue is not whether you're free or not, okay? Um, you're already free in Christ. The issue at hand is are you choosing to no longer stay free because you're incarcerating your own self with your own sinful thoughts? A lot of folks will do that. You know, are you imprisoning yourself because your thoughts are not in the right place? You, because your sinful nature is controlling even how you think. Maybe you see yourself as hopeless or broken beyond repair. You know, um, if you're that kind of person, you're building a prison around you which you're, you, you cannot escape because that controls your life. What sinful thoughts are controlling you and who you are. So what do you do? You have to let the Holy Spirit take control. Verse number six, you have to control your mind. In other words, you let God control the direction of your free will. The direction of where you're going to go, what you're going to do, who you're going to... You let God control your mindset. You, that points you in the direction you should be going in. Okay? So Paul's going to tell his readers this. He's going to tell them this. If you want to stay free, if you want the life the Holy Spirit brings, you need to let God control the direction of your will. Let Him control your mindset, how you think. This sounds familiar for those of you who know Scripture. Why? Because in Romans 12, he's going to say, what? Let the Holy Spirit change the way you think, right? So we're setting that. We're not there yet, but we're setting it up right now for that, okay? So let it change how you think. Change your mindset. And he's going to show that you, why you can't allow sin to control that mindset in the next two verses. Look at verses 7 and 8. For the sinful nature is always hostile towards God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the law, or are under control of their sinful nature, I'm sorry, can never please God. If sin owns you, it is impossible for you, one, to be made right with God, but two, to, to obviously please God. Your mindset is being controlled by your sinful nature at that point. And so what happens when that occurs, you reflect the values uh, uh, about that mindset that's hostile towards God. You can't reflect God's values. Instead, you're reflecting the values of whatever it is that that mindset has. This is why all the talk of stuff like culture wars and that kind of thing, I've long been a believer that there's spiritual in nature, not, not just political. Why? Because of this right here. That if I'm controlled by the sinful nature, I'm going to reflect values that are contrary to, to God and who He is and to His nature. Why would I? I, I can't produce, an apple tree can't produce oranges, right? Like that doesn't work that way. It looks different, I think, across every generation. But every generation has their own version of, of, of like, you know, culture wars, whatever you want to call it. Our sinful nature is hostile towards God if, if we're allowing sin to control it. And so if we have people who are in, in, in leadership or positions of influence and power, whether it's finances, culture, politics, education, whatever it is, and, and, and they're not following Christ, and they are controlled by their sinful nature, they're not going to produce and reflect the same values necessarily that God has. And you should not expect them to. 
And I think that's where we, we trip a lot, of, a lot of Christians get tripped up at, because they're trying to force a square peg into a round hole. You, you, you can't expect that. Unless Christ changes them, they're not going to produce that. And you can't change it for them. But you can take care of you. How do you change it if that's true for you? If you're here today and you say, Pastor, uh, this is making sense. Because there's some things that my spouse and I, our friends, whatever, we're disagreeing on. And I'm realizing that I, I may not have full control, you know, or the Holy Spirit may not have full control of my life. Might be, it might be my sinful nature controlling some things, and I kind of see where we're dis. So what do I do with that? Because you can control that. So what do you do if that's you? Here's what you do. You don't start on some mass level trying to, trying to change. You start with just one life at a time. Start with you. Your life. Get your life right with, with Christ first. Get something straightened out with you first. You know what you do next? Go find somebody else and, and, and you help them. And then they'll find somebody else and then you help somebody else too. You don't try on some big mass level to produce change. You start with one life at a time. One life. That's how you do it. One person. Jesus did not change an entire world with a megaphone. And he didn't do it with brute force either. Well, if you're not going to do it our way, get out. We'll find other people. Nope. He had followers. He had some hard teachings. So not all of them stayed. But he poured into each life at a time. Now some, he, he got closer with, 12 apostles. And out of those 12, there were only three that saw pretty much everything. And, and I mean, he, but he spent his time pouring in to these individuals. And one by one, they helped people move from being controlled by their sinful nature and hostile towards God to becoming followers and being fully devoted to him. Your sinful nature is, is a ravenous monster. So the more you feed it, the stronger it's going to get. But the same principle is true of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. So if you want the Holy Spirit to be more at work, I want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit more. Okay, great. What's your life like? Like, what are some things happening in your personal life? Because the more you get with Jesus and the more you pursue God, the, the stronger the Spirit gets as well. You know, the, the, the more that God can do in and through you. It's the same principle. All right, I don't want to get too far ahead for next week, but I want to go to verse 9 real quick as we wrap things up. Verse 9, Paul says this. You are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit, if you have the Spirit of God living within you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living within him do not belong to him at all, which makes sense. If you're a follower of Christ, he already resides within you. So you who follow Christ, you're, you're not to be controlled by sin because the Spirit of God is at work within you. Paul will say in Romans 12 too, again, just, just setting up for that here already in chapter 8. He says, don't copy the customs of the world, right? Instead, allow God to transform how you think. Well, I'm going to change you in that new person by changing the way you think. Stay free. Stay with the Holy Spirit, man. Allow Him to bring you freedom and bring life and let God change your mindset. Z, come on up. I love the beach. I'm a big beach bum. I know some of y'all are just like, nah, I, got the, I, hate, I hate sand like the mountains, you know, but I love beach. And uh, that's one thing I definitely miss about the low country. Uh, you have lakes up here, but that's not a real beach. So we're, we're, we go down there, and, and one of my things I love to do, I love to get in the water, 
I love to body surf. I don't do that boogie board junk. I get out there and I want to ride. It's really cool. Like you get out there and you catch a wave just right. It'll, it'll lift you up on the crest and you come flying through. It's really fun. And I love doing that. I can spend hours doing that. And so uh, it, we're, my, my son loves to do it too. And so the last couple of times I've been to the beach, you know, Ezra and I go out there and we'll do that kind of thing. And after a while, you're like, you know, I'm catching this wave, catching the tide. It's pretty good. And, and you're, you're kind of drifting a little bit though. And you get up, you're like, man, I, I know we were like right here. And then you kind of look and way over there, <laughs> that's where our stuff's at. That's where my wife is and kids and everybody. They're all hanging out down there. And, you know, what do you got to do? <clears throat> get back up and kind of walk on down towards the beach, you know? Here's the thing with that. Uh, they, they didn't move. <laughs> But I did. I allowed the tide to kind of carry me, and I drifted down that way. Say, Pastor, where are you going with this? I think a lot of times in our struggle with living for Christ, and having the Holy Spirit work within us, we look at God and we say, you know, you changed and you moved. No, God stayed right where he's supposed to be. We allowed culture and our sinful nature and all kinds of influences to cause us to drift. So we got further and further and further away. Before we know it, we look up and we're like, you know, I, I don't really like who I am today. See, the person who comes to accept Christ for the first time, generally speaking, it's not some kind of like, oh my gosh, an offer of salvation seems so amazing. I want it right now. Like, no, no one does that. For most people, you wake up one morning and you're like, you know, I look into my life. And I see some things. And I don't really like it. But I don't really know what to do to change it. Because I've tried a bunch of stuff. I just know I can't stay here anymore. What do I do? That's not everybody. But for a lot of folks, that's kind of how it starts off. And you realize that you're right here. And way down there. That's where God's at. But you know the cool thing about God? What God will do is he will leave where he's at to walk all the way down to where you are to pick you up and take you back home. God does that kind of thing. Why? Because he loves you. Because he cares for you. Some of you guys today, you're not where you should be, man. And, and you know, you realize that I, I, I'm somewhere I shouldn't be and I kind of like where I'm at and I need to change. And I, if that's you, you're in the right place because today I, you, can, you, can, you can start moving in the right direction. Today, hey, God will leave where he's at to come get you and bring you back home. But you need to know there's no condemnation for you. You don't know what I did. You don't know where I've been, the kind of person who I am, and what's going in my head. I, I don't know any of that, but God knows all of that. And yet he still wants to call you one of his own. Second thing here you need to know is this. To, to stay free once he does bring you home, allow God to control your mindset. Not like you're some robotic zombie doing whatever God tells you to do. It's, it's the simple thing. It's not like Frankenstein. It's rather you're... 
you understand that it's Christ who is the greatest influence in your life. And so each day you're like, you know what, I'm going to get up in the morning, I'm going to say, Lord, whatever it is you want to do through me, I I'm yours today. Hey, I want to make sure I'm doing the right thing, saying the right So Holy Spirit, uh, I want you to lead me to the right people today. I want you to, to, to give me the right things to say today. You know, you're, all you're doing is asking God to, to lead you. And when we say spend time in scripture reading and spend time in prayer, it's not a workspace thing. It makes you super Christian. It's, it's so this right here happens, that the more I get into God's word and the more I pray, the greater the influence he has in my life, which means I am more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I am more sensitive to what he prompts me to do and where he calls me to go and where he leads me. And that's why we ask you to do that kind of stuff. So if you can do those things, it will help you stay free. And so here's what we're going to do to wrap things up today. If, if you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, like I, I'm the guy who's drifted and, and I want to come back home. I'm going to lead a prayer of salvation. It's just a model prayer. You don't have to say it out loud if you don't want to. It's entirely up to you. Um, but I'm going to model what it sounds like. And you say it along with me. And then I want to come back and I want to pray for those of us who are followers of Christ this morning. We realize that, man, we're struggling to stay free. But the reason we're struggling is because we're not giving... God full reign in our lives. Other things are influencing us and we need to let the Holy Spirit have that, that spot of top influencer in our personal lives, right? We need Him to help set us on the right track. So Father, I thank You for who You are. I thank You for Your goodness and grace. I pray this morning for those who don't know You. Perhaps they're here today and and Jesus, they, they, they just say, man, I, I've drifted and there's some things in my life I'm not real proud of. I don't really like where I'm at. I, I want to get back on track, though. I want to reflect God's values. I, I want to I just come back home and start this life with Jesus. Lord, for those individuals today, we pray that they have open hearts and minds in this moment. If that's you, this prayer we're going to pray goes just like this. It says, Jesus, I am sorry for the sin that I've done. I just recognize today that I've drifted. I recognize today that I, I, I've done things I'm not proud of. God, I know I've done things you're not proud of. And I, I want to start over. I, 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 I can't erase the past, but man, you can't forgive me. I can't just walk away from what I've done, but you can't heal me. And so, Jesus, I, I'm asking for all of that today. Forgive me, heal me, cleanse me. Man, be my Savior. Because I can't save myself. I need this new life. And I know it starts with just this prayer, but I'm telling you, Jesus, I need this today. Will you be my Savior? But I don't just want to end here. I thought, Jesus, can you, can you also be the Lord of my life? Because I understand, too, that I've done all this stuff because I was living for me. And I don't want to live for myself going forward. I, I see where that takes me. I, I know what results when I call the shots. So I'm going to ask from this day forward that you will lead me and you will guide me. And you will show me what to do and where to go. I will do all that I can to submit, to surrender myself to you life. I want to put it in your hands. I want you to be that great influencer inside of me. I need you to be my Savior and my Lord today.
Lord, for those who are Christians, but they've struggled with staying free, maybe because they've not given you full reign in their lives. God, I pray this morning that you will help them to see that, hey, the Holy Spirit should have top influence in our lives. Anything that's competing with, with you, God, for that spot should be removed. I pray, Lord, right now, whatever, whatever that conviction brings for them, I pray they will respond to it and they will allow the Holy Spirit to change them, allow the Holy Spirit to, to work in their hearts and their lives, shaping them to become the people you're calling them to be. Maybe they need to spend more time in your word. Maybe they have to, need to have a better, healthier prayer life. Whatever it is, uh, God, I pray that you lead them uh, to make the right choices and decisions so that they can be ever sensitive and led by your Spirit in any and all situations. Lord, we, we want to make sure that we're aligning ourselves up, not with our will, but with your will, so that, God, you can use us for your glory and use us, God, to make a difference for people uh, around our community for all of eternity. And it starts with making sure that our mindsets are in the right place. And so, Holy Spirit, if we need a, a, a reset, if we need you to come in and change how we think, if we need you to come in, God, and do some things different, we invite you to do that today inside of us so that we can become the people you need us to be, reaching folks for you across Clemson, Seneca, Walhalla, Central, all the, all the communities, God, that we are a part of here. We thank you, Lord, for who you are, for what you've done, for the hearts and lives you're changing here today. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at radiantchurchsc.com or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.